Well, I'll tell you the good news on this oil price. It may be going higher, it may be causing a lot of pain out there, but I will tell you the good news on it. And you know what that is? We're seeing it in uranium too. The fundamentals still matter. As I like to contrast this kind of overly financialized, speculative, hyper-real world we live in with cold, hard reality, what we deal with in the mining sector, there are times when you start to wonder if physical reality still matters, when narratives run away with themselves. And you could look at copper right now. You know, copper, and we're going to have a wonderful article by the way, that is looking for the blind spots in the copper bull argument. You know, it's almost unanimous, this argument that copper is going to go higher, there are going to be massive supply deficits. We have a contrarian view in the Northern Miner, and I'm going to happily check that out to keep us sharp over here. So we see it in copper, this idea, and you start to wonder, do the fundamentals still matter? And when we see oil Make the move that it's made. You know, I think it was $67 and now it's at $92 for, that's WTI, West Texas Intermediate. We're above $95 on Brent crude. We're at $95.18, up another 0.8% today so far. And this is interesting as well. Brent crude is up 0.8% today on CNBC here. You know how much WTI, the West Texas Intermediate, is up? 1.41%. It's almost up double the amount. And what we've seen in the last few weeks is the spread between West Texas Intermediate and Brent crude, considered the international oil price, we're starting to see that spread narrow. And that also, to me, is a big deal because I think for the US economy, I think WTI might be a little more important. So if that one is moving up even faster than Brent crude, Perhaps that also will mean something for inflation. And within this context, just on this fundamentals issue, there is another you know, story we're seeing out there showing that the fundamentals still matter. And I think it's important for us to say this because sometimes in this industry, you can really start to wonder if the fundamentals still matter. And the other story that we're seeing, again, just edging up relentlessly is uranium. We have seen it go up in just like these small amounts, but just relentlessly since about $55.40, and that was almost three months ago. And we have seen it go up every single time from $55.40. Sometimes it's just like 10 cents, other times 25 cents. Then last week it was up $2.25 at $60.75. This week, a little preview of metal prices here. We're at $62, so up another $1.25. Once the fundamentals take hold, first of all, you know, as we were talking with Cam Curry, it can create its own narrative. So it can be kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. As we we're discussing with gold stocks, the reason gold stocks aren't going higher is because gold stocks aren't going higher. And what I mean by that is Gold stocks going lower creates a narrative that gold stocks are going lower. Again, in this kind of hyper-real financialized economies that we kind of live and breathe in, I almost want to say realities that we live and breathe in, stories can take a life of their own. And again, if we zoom out, what can we say about fundamentals versus the narratives is probably in the long term, fundamentals will win out. 
But in the short term, the narrative really takes center stage. And what happens, you know, in situations like oil, where the narrative is now lining up with the fundamentals, does that mean we're about to go to $110 per barrel? Or does that mark a top? Who knows? All very interesting. And so we have a great treat for you today. Dean McPherson of TMX Group, the head of global mining at the Toronto Stock Exchange and the TSX Venture Exchange, is coming back to join us to give an update on what he is seeing in the markets, particularly in regard to resources. The TSX has just released their top 30 companies, the TSX 30, and we'll find out if there are any mining companies in there. That was my first question before I turned on the record button with Dean. So it's a great conversation and very informative as to where we are from a market perspective with these resource companies in Canada and also globally. Again, Dean and TMX have a global perspective. As they like to say, they are a conduit into the North American financial markets through the Toronto Stock Exchange. So that is very interesting. As Dean was saying, to my point about fundamentals here, there is a lot of disappointment out there in the mining sector with how things are going. We have this green transition, and yet there is a sense that the sector has underperformed, even though We've been told, or aren't we at the beginning of a super cycle? Don't we need copper? And we see, you know, Cadelco having to deny that they're, you know, approaching bankruptcy, the new CEO there. And we'll take a look at that story too. So all to say, I take solace to a certain degree, not from a economic or societal perspective about, say, oil going up. It's probably bad. What prices are going to go up. It's probably going to hurt us unless you're, of course, an investor in oil. Same with uranium. But I do take solace in the fact that the fundamentals still matter, that, you know, physical reality still matters. And it seems almost to be an absurdity to say that. But if you're a mining investor, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Speaking of which, the Canadian Mining Symposium is happening in three weeks in London, England. Our featured speakers include Robert Friedland of Ivanhoe Mines, David Garofalo, of Gold Royalty, Frank Justra of Eris Mining, Catherine McLeod-Seltzer of Kinross Gold, Anna Cabrell Gardner of Sigma Lithium Resources, Don Lindsay, former CEO of Tech Resources, John McCluskey of Alamos Gold, John McConnell of Victoria Gold, Sean Rusin of Osisco Gold Royalties, and Randy Smallwood of Wheaton Precious Metals. And those are just your featured speakers. We have a heck of a lot of panelists here and several investor presentations. It's going to be a heck of a two days over in London. And again, that is in 23 days, three hours and eight minutes. Just go to events.northernminer.com to learn more. So with that, we have a very interesting interview coming up with Tom Meyer, who is president and CEO of Archer Exploration. He discusses their Grasset project, which of course many of you may remember as a property owned by Balmoral before they sold it to Walbridge Mining, and now Archer Exploration owns it. It is one of their main properties. So a very interesting CEO spotlight also coming up. With that, if you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner and on Instagram at The Northern Miner and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts and wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And with that, let's turn to Tom Meyer, president and CEO of Archer Exploration for this week's CEO 
Spotlight. Joining us today, I'm very pleased to welcome Tom Meyer, President and CEO of Archer Exploration, to this week's CEO Spotlight. Tom, welcome to the show. Adrian, thank you. Looking forward to our discussion. Well, it's great to have you. There are so many interesting stories in Canada, and not everybody's familiar with necessarily every exploration story in the country. There is a lot of excitement for metals in general. Tell us about Archer Exploration. What is the background of the company for those that may not be familiar with it? We went live November of last year, so we've got a portfolio of nickel assets that actually sat within a company called Walbridge Mining. And Walbridge focused on gold, didn't give due attention to their nickel portfolio, and we were able to acquire that in a transaction which closed last November. So yes, we are a new, new product and very exciting in the sense that we are dedicated to just nickel sulfide exploration and development. So a very focused approach to our portfolio and then with a lot of intelligence with the, with the team that we put together to move these uh, assets forward. But essentially, our flagship cornerstone asset is a 100% owned grisette project in the Abitibi Greenstone Belt. It's got an existing resource of 5.5 million tons of indicated at 1.53% nickel equivalent. So we are biasing with, with the higher grade nickel sulfide. And then we also have a very, very large land package in the Sudbury camp. It's actually the third largest nickel portfolio in the camp. So very excited to move this asset package forward. But like I said, Grisette is our flagship. It's 80% of our focus versus Sudbury, which is still very important to us. But uh, we believe we're going to you know, have the most excitement around uh, exploring and expanding that resource that we have at Grisette. I remember reading about Grisette in the Northern Miner when it was, I believe, Balmoral Resources. So that is the same we were discussing before the show. That is the same property then. And there was a lot of excitement around that property back then. And not to be underplayed, Adrian, that was a 2012 vintage discovery. So the team at Balmoral did a fantastic job. So they actually discovered this nickel asset by accident. They were exploring for gold and they did a step out drill. I think it was about 500 meters step out. And the team noticed that this mineralization looks a little bit odd and uh, it turned out it was nickel. So, you know, 2012 vintage discovery. So this is not a retread, say, from the 50s or 60s, and because nickel was, uh, you know, trending $9 and higher and with the macro environment being favorable for higher nickel prices, this isn't one of those projects that all of a sudden makes sense when nickel trades above eight fifty a pound. No, this is a 2012 ventures discovery. They were able to, you know, put a resource together and move it along, but macro environment changed and then Walbridge uh, acquired them. So very little work follow-up was done, and, and that's where we kind of jump on this thing and, and very excited to start demonstrating the market. This thing has legs and there's a lot more of this resource that we can grow. And then we're going to do that over the next months and years. So very excited about that opportunity. Okay, excellent. And just a couple of questions here then. It's in Quebec, right? Correct. So the Abitibi Greenstone Belt, which is very famous for not just gold, but also VMS projects. And one of the fortunate things for us is this is located just off the highway. So we can actually drive to site with transport trucks for all the support that we need for our exploration work, close to power, all the infrastructure that one needs, rail, road, hydropower, green power from Quebec, airport, and all the rest of it. So um, very, very well located in an infrastructure-rich part of the Abitibi. 
Well, you know, green power, you know, you say it kind of casually, but that's actually a pretty big deal these days. So, I mean, we had a couple of companies and Balmoral and Wallbridge that had the project before. What does Archer bring to the table that maybe helps push this project along? Yeah, so I think one of the key things being focused nickel sulfide exploration development, we have a great team that is dedicated to moving nickel sulfide projects forward. So we were able to kind of wrangle a, a, a tremendous amount of experience into the field where our VP exploration, Jack Gauthier, was able to bring some solid people. We've got advisors. We've got something called a technical advisory committee. And I think before we began this uh, podcast, we spoke just about the paucity of nickel intelligence that is out there. We lost uh, a number of years ago our key cornerstone nickel companies, as they were known, Inco and, and Falconbridge back in the day. And there was a general shortage of nickel expertise out there, at, at least in my opinion, a very solid exploration expertise. So we were able to bring together a technical advisory committee, which has got a range all the way from you know Professor Mike Lesher, uh, formerly at Laurentian University, an expert in uh, nickel sulfide projects, and all to the pr- very practical people in the likes of uh, Dr. Neil O'Brien and, and Steve Beach, both Lundine Exploration, where they were able to discover the Nickel East discovery up in the Upper Peninsula. So we're able to bring a, a very solid team together. So I think what number one is we're dedicated and focused on nickel sulfides and fit for purpose technical expertise from a people side and then using the people to then assemble the best techniques, geophysics, drilling, uh, etc. to approach this project in a very focused, very, very focused manner. So in terms of the project then, and you have two projects and I actually want to touch very briefly on the other, but on Grasset, what have you found? Are you drilling? Like, where are you in this project? Kind of what do you know and what are you trying to find out? Okay, so what we know based on historic drilling work is that we've got a five and a half million ton resource indicated at 1.53% nickel equivalent. And what we're doing is a combination of geophysics to line up targets. We're doing something called sonic drilling, so base of till sampling. This, again, it's a 2012 vintage discovery, but one of the reasons why it was only discovered in 2012, it it is buried under glacial till. So we're taking the sampling, the base of that till and looking for nickel anomalies. So we've got geophysics, we've got base of till sampling, and that lines up our drill targeting, And but we're drilling. Our objective is to double, triple the resource that we have at Grisette. Recent drilling that we released back in June and then some geophysics followed up in August is that we've demonstrated, we've identified a new horizon that we're excited to follow up on. We encountered about 1.82% nickel over 4.6 meters in one of the holes in in one of the horizons that we call H1. So we've discovered another zone which we plan to expand and just demonstrate that that resource the starting point of five and a half billion tons has lots of room to grow and potentially also to grow the grade higher as well. That 1.82% nickel is above the you know 1.53 nickel equivalent that we've got in the existing resource. There's more to find. We also control a 23 kilometer belt of favorable ultramafic. So we anticipate looking for and growing other targets within that 23 kilometer trend of favorable geology. Yeah, I hear nothing but really, actually really good things about people working in Quebec. Moving on to Ontario, you have something near Sudbury, is it? What is your other project, just very briefly? 
So very briefly, we actually control the third largest land package in Sudbury, which is actually the second largest nickel district in the world. So we've got a number of targets, uh, offset, dikes, contact, uh, footwall targets. The most advanced within that portfolio is a project called Parkin, which we're doing geophysics now, but we're also doing a, a com very comprehensive uh, review of that portfolio to allow us to focus on what the high priority, high return projects will be for us. So, but parking the most advanced and geophysics underway and look to start drilling. We anticipated later this year, but we may push that into uh, early next year, depending on how the geophysics uh, lines up. We've got more work to do in terms of targeting. And that is nickel as well. Correct. They're all nickel, all nickel projects in our portfolio. Yes. It's nice to have somewhat of a pure play there. So as we're wrapping up here, what do you want investors to know? Like, what is the opportunity here from your perspective with Archer Exploration? Yeah, it's a tremendous opportunity in the sense that we've got Grisette, which is a starting project for us of five and a half million tons. Lots of room for it to grow. As we continue with our existing summer program, which is wrapping up at the moment, there's a tremendous amount of upside left. We are high grade, so we have something that we believe is particularly interesting uh, globally from a kind of low carbon footprint in the sense that there's a, a lot of nickel content within the ore. This is a project that also has uh, metallurgy that was done in 2016 that points to something that actually can be not just easily mined, but also easily processed and to bring to market in terms of a marketable high-grade nickel concentrate. And we are in, in Quebec, which is extremely open for exploration development. We've got a close relationship with communities that surround Grisette. And so we are aligned to move this project forward towards ultimately development. So the value proposition is that we're undervalued in the sense that the market is not giving us full value for what we've got in terms of pounds of nickel in the ground. And there's lots of runway for us to add even more to not just see the growth in the overall resource, but then the valuation as well to grow that even further. So it's a tremendous opportunity for investors if they want to take a look. And I just point people to our website, www.archerexploration.com for uh, more information. Tom Meyer, President and Chief Executive Officer of Archer Exploration, thank you for joining us on this week's CEO Spotlight. Thank you, Adrian. And thank you once again to Tom Meyer, President and CEO of Archer Exploration, for sponsoring this week's episode of the Northern Miner Podcast. Turning to the website, Pentagon awards $110 million more to Albemarle and Talon Metals. This is Bruno Venditti on the Northern Miner. Albemarle and Talon Metals are getting about $110 million in new U.S. government funding to support their lithium and nickel mining projects, the Pentagon said. Under the U.S. Defense Production Act, Albemarle is to receive $90 million for its planned reopening of the Kings Mountain lithium mine in Northern Carolina. So it's quite interesting how this mining financing is working. It's like car companies and the Pentagon are, you know, funding the mining business because there aren't enough investors, I think. So it seems. I mean, that could change dramatically at a certain point. Talon Metals is slated for $20.6 million for more exploration across the Tamarack Nickel Project in Minnesota. The agreements were officially announced by the U.S. Defense Department on Tuesday. The funding follows $150 million awarded nearly a year ago to Charlotte, North Carolina-based Albemarle to build a processing facility for lithium and $115 million for Talon Metals nickel unit in North Dakota to build a processing plant for mineral mined in Minnesota. 
Also last year, North Carolina-based Piedmont Lithium received $141 million to build a $600 million processing plant in Tennessee. So these are significant investments. The total package a year ago also included $661 million in federal funding to various battery, lithium, and graphite projects by Ascend Elements, Lilac Solutions, Serba Solutions, and Sira Resources. Other recipients this year include Perpetua Resources and Graphite One. So quite a few investments going on across the board here. It's all part of the Biden administration's $2.8 billion in funding boost to American mineral production for green metals to fight climate change and Chinese control of many of the world's processing facilities. Western nations have formed critical minerals lists, ramped up spending, and formed alliances promoting cooperation between allies. Albemarle estimates that Kings Mountain will be operational between 2025 and 2030. Today, the only operating nickel mine in the U.S., the Eagle Mine in Michigan, owned by Lundin Mining, ships its concentrates abroad for refining and is scheduled to close in 2025. Tamarack is the only high-grade development stage nickel mine in the country. Tesla signed an agreement in 2022 to purchase 75,000 metric tons of nickel in concentrate from Tamarack. That's pretty wild. Tamarack is the only high-grade development stage nickel mine in the country. Continuing on, Rio Tinto sees building its own lithium mines as better than buying. This is Bloomberg News via Mining.com. Rio Tinto Group wants to be a meaningful lithium producer, but is more focused on finding and building its own mines than joining the wave of deal-making engulfing the industry, said Chief Executive Officer Jacob Staussholm. And we have a quote, we would rather use our competencies to develop the projects ourselves, end quote. Staussholm said in an interview with Bloomberg Television, quote, lithium companies right now are very expensive. We can believe we can find much cheaper ways to get it done, end quote. The world's second largest mining company is actively looking to grow in lithium, a key ingredient to make batteries for electric vehicles, a strategy that sets it apart from rivals like BHP Group that so far have steered clear of the tiny but fast-growing market. Rio has already bought a mine in Argentina for $825 million, while plans for a flagship lithium project in Serbia were dashed last year when the government blocked the development after thousands of protesters took to the streets to oppose it. Staussholm also confirmed that the company has secured exploration land to look for lithium in Western Australia, where its giant iron ore mines that drive its profit are based. The region has been at the center of major deal-making in the industry. Interesting from Rio Tinto, again, the second largest mining company, they are interested in lithium, but it is too expensive to acquire. So they're looking for it themselves. And here's the article I was discussing in the introduction. This is also on the Northern Miner. Will technology curb demand for copper? Interesting question. This is James Cooper. And he says here, I've written extensively about the emerging opportunities for copper. Geopolitics, riots, water shortages, declining output, and lack of new discovery are all reasons you should be planning for higher prices in the years ahead. With its supreme qualities as an electrical conductor, the red metal is one commodity that can't be replaced in a future electrified economy. That's why some have labeled copper the new crude. There are many reasons to be optimistic about stocks leveraged to this metal, but are there any risks? Right now, we have high interest rates in the West and deflation in the East. Neither bodes well for a commodity tied exclusively to growth. 
Yet copper continues to buck the doom and gloom sentiment. Futures are consolidating well above their April lows, while major copper producers like Ivanhoe Mines and Southern Copper are both hovering near their all-time highs. It's widely accepted by the mining industry that underinvestment in new discovery will bring on shortages. You know, I guess the copper price is doing all right, but when it's below $4, I mean, below $4 copper is nothing to write home about. I mean, $3.75 copper. But let's continue the point here. It's widely accepted by the mining industry that underinvestment in new discovery will bring on shortages. According to Benchmark Intelligence, these shortfalls are destined to hit the market by the second half of this decade. But let's play devil's advocate for a moment. Could technology solve the looming supply problem? According to the high-profile New York-based fund manager Göring and Rutzenkweg, there's plenty of room for innovation in the, quote, archaic field, end quote, of mineral exploration, meaning the idea of supply shortages could be overblown. Quote, additional supply could come from introducing a new exploration tool from Ivanhoe Electric, known as the Typhoon Geophysical Survey System. And we have a few lines of this report here. As opposed to the oil and gas industry, which has made considerable advancements in exploration technology over the past 70 years, the mining industry largely relies on technologies used for hundreds of years. Geologists walk along the surface with a pick and hammer and a sampling grab bag looking for rock outcrops and soil alterations. A geologist from the 18th century would feel right at home today. I mean, it makes you wonder if they've ever seen like I've at least seen the pictures of an Agnico Eagle mine, and this is not the impression I'm given. Continuing on, given the relatively primitive techniques, it stands to reason that most significant deposits are still located reasonably near the surface. The oil and gas industry has developed exploration tools to look deep into the Earth's crust. A lack of technology restricted the mining industry to what could be found visually near surface. So this ends the report. And James Cooper takes it from here. As a former geologist that's worked in all phases of exploration across many different types of commodities, including copper, I disagree with GNR. Yes, geoscientists conduct fieldwork. It's part of a process called ground truthing, ensuring that data in the office matches what's seen on the ground. But more than that, exploration geologists have been using advanced software to identify chemical anomalies in the soil and computer programs to measure the probable geometries of ore bodies sitting unseen below the surface for years. Computer science is an important skill for the profession. Software is ingrained within fieldwork. The reality on the ground couldn't be more different to GNR's observation, as mineral exploration has been technified for decades. But could companies like Ivanhoe Electric be the game changer? I'd argue the typhoon system described by GNR is just a reworking of current systems. Just like the oil and gas industry, mineral exploration has been using deep penetrating geophysical surveys for decades. A technology known as induced polarization has helped geologists find copper ore bodies lying hundreds of meters below the surface. That puts a dent on the idea that, quote, the most significant deposits are still located reasonably near the surface. It doesn't seem that this would at all be what we're hearing from the geologists themselves. You know, I think of Mark Brissot. All the easy big deposits in copper have been found, according to Brissot. In other words, the industry has been saying for a while now that it has to go to more and more remote regions and more and more politically difficult areas to find new discoveries. Scrolling down a bit, so I'll let you read the whole article on northernminer.com, but there is a little bit on AI that I also wanted to highlight here. Once again, a new game changer is arriving in the form of artificial intelligence. 
Cobalt Metals, a company that uses AI and machine learning to hunt for raw materials, has been peddled as the new generation in mineral discovery. The company determined to prove computer scientists based in California can replace geologists and boots on the ground. Yet despite receiving large capital injections from prominent billionaires Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Richard Branson, Cobalt is yet to make its first discovery. In fact, rather than lead discovery, Cobalt is using its deep pockets to buy up deposits previously discovered by those quote-unquote primitive geologists. In December 2022, the company acquired the Mingomba Copper Project in Zambia. No doubt there will be a lot of hype in the years ahead about AI's ability to change the landscape in mineral discovery, but history proves there's nothing new under the sun. More supply won't come from technological breakthrough. It can only arise from higher prices. So, as I was talking to Tom Meyer, I did think to myself that maybe the real game changer for the exploration companies will actually be technology. I do still wonder that to myself as, you know, better and better technology comes. If we can start really seeing what's under the ground easily, one could imagine being an exploration company will be the best business you could possibly go in. And, you know, this cycle may just prove, in fact, to be a cycle and it might go from zero to hero quite fast. So the debate continues here. Continuing on, Cadelco chairman calls claims of insolvency risk, quote unquote, nonsense. This is Reuters via mining.com. The chairman of Chilean state Cadelco, the world's largest copper producer, told lawmakers on Wednesday that the company was, quote, financially solid and, quote, rejecting an industry body report that had said it was at risk of insolvency. And chairman Maxime Pacheco said, quote, do any of you believe that Cadelco is truly at risk of insolvency? I mean, that seems like nonsense to me, end quote. Pacheco was responding to a report last month from Copper Studies Center, Kesco, that it said if production promises are not met, high levels of debt could lead to insolvency. Pacheco said again, quote, it is not appropriate for us to say that Cadelco is a company that has financial problems or balance sheet problems. In a year when production fell and we are behind schedule with projects, Cadelco's EBITDA will exceed $5 billion. So Defiant, the new CEO of Cadelco, but there is concern out there. Uh, continuing on, First Majestic shares rise as it gets into the minting business. And this is a staff writer at northernminer.com. Shares of precious metals producer First Majestic Silver were up 5% on Friday after it had announced it has opened a 100% owned and operated minting facility in Nevada. The decision to open our own mint was made to ensure our bullion store has adequate supplies in order to fulfill customers' demand. President and CEO Keith Newmeyer said in a news release on Thursday. The Canadian miner noted that quote-unquote first mint, as it is called, will expand upon its existing bullion sales through vertically integrating the production of investment-grade fine silver. Neumeyer continued, quote, last year we sold over 440,000 ounces of silver bullion, generating over $11 million in revenue. However, sales could have been substantially higher had we not been constrained by limited supply from our minting partners. So, Interesting. First Majestic is getting into the minting business. And just a headline here, ex-JP Morgan gold trader sentenced to six months in spoof case. And this is Bloomberg News via mining.com. So one of the traders got six months. And this comes two weeks after JP Morgan's former top gold trader, Greg Smith, was given a two-year prison term. The stiffest sentence in the U.S. government's crackdown on questionable trading practices 
The death's former boss, Michael Novak, got a year behind bars, while two others who pleaded guilty in the case and cooperated with authorities avoided prison. And just a couple more headlines here. China gold premium hits record as Beijing defends yuan. And it says bullion on the Shanghai Gold Exchange traded at a premium of more than $120 an ounce on Thursday, according to calculations by Bloomberg. So this is Bloomberg News via mining.com. Those are your news stories. Now, let's take a look at metal prices. Turning to metal prices, let's just take a quick look at the U.S. 10-year bond. It is yielding 4.331%. That is 0.03% higher than last week. So yields edging up slightly. And looking at the U.K. gilt, it is yielding 4.359%. Let's call it 4.36%. And that is down 0.06%. And Italy has jumped 0.13% to 4.5% for the yield. So interestingly, Italy and the U.S. were even. Now, Italian yields are jumping up a little bit, while U.S. 10-year is just edging up a bit. Meanwhile, the U.K. is going down. Turning to precious metals, gold is trading at $1,956.50 per ounce. That is $15 higher than last week. Silver is trading at $23.63 per ounce. That is $0.15 higher than last week. Platinum is trading at $932.65 per ounce. That is $22 higher than last week. And palladium is also higher at $1,243.47 per ounce. That is $32 higher than last week. Turning to our industrial metals, copper is a penny lower at $3.73 per pound. Iron ore is slightly higher at $122.20 per metric ton. That is $4 higher than last week. Aluminum is a penny higher at $1.01 per pound. Lead is unchanged at $1.04 per pound. Nickel is below $9 at $8.92 per pound. That is $0.52 lower than last week. So below $9, it has been a very long time. Since nickel has been below $9 a pound, I would almost say before the Russia-Ukraine war. Cobalt is unchanged at $15.16 per pound. Lithium is approaching near lows at $25.43 per kilogram. That is $2 lower than last week. And this is really hovering near those lows we saw several months ago at $24.93 per kilogram, falling you know, dramatically from much higher prices and now, again, approaching those lows. Will it be a double bottom? You know, again, the narrative is great on lithium, but look at the price. Uranium, on the other hand, continues to edge higher at $62 per pound. That is $1.25 higher than last week and continues its streak here, going on two and a half, almost three months of nonstop higher action on the weekly price here. Finally, zinc is trading three cents higher at $1.15 per pound. And so zooming out, precious metals higher, industrial metals a mixed bag, with nickel especially a standout here, below $9, and also lithium approaching these lows that we saw a few months ago when it basically fell out of bed. And again, uranium a standout higher. 
And those are your metal prices. Coming up, I'm very pleased to welcome Dean McPherson, head of global mining at the Toronto Stock Exchange and the TSX Venture Exchange, which are part of the TMX group. Dean shares his perspective on how the resource companies are doing, particularly in the North American and Canadian markets. Especially, I also ask him about exploration companies, general sentiment in the sector, and also how the government is doing from his perspective, again, as head of global mining at the TMX Group. It's a wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side. Joining us today, I am very pleased to welcome back Dean McPherson, head of global mining at the Toronto Stock Exchange and the TSX Venture Exchange to the Northern Miner Podcast. Dean, welcome back. Thank you, Adrian. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, it's always exciting to talk with you. Again, I've run into you over the years, and it's always interesting, your perspective on things. So as head of global mining at the Toronto Stock Exchange and the TSX Venture Exchange, what are you seeing out there as far as mining is concerned? What is your sense of the overall markets, particularly in regard to resources? I think the general sense is one of certainly from the perspective of issuers is one of frustration because I think a lot of things have lined up to support the sector outperforming this year. And yet that that's just hasn't been happening since the start of the year. And I don't think it's any news really, but I think everyone is aware and certainly feeling it that the markets have been quite slow in terms of uh, performance uh, and certainly in terms of translating into companies' ability to raise capital and, and new companies come into market. It has dragged this year. It's certainly not what we, the numbers that we saw, the peaks that we saw in 2021. Last year wasn't as good as 2021. And I think uh, this year certainly is not as good as 2022. So there is that frustration from issuers. And I say frustration because um, the fundamentals certainly don't point to a down market. The fundamentals are that um, the um, mining sector is the heart of uh, the energy transition initiative, the global initiative, and the mining sector's ability to supply commodities at the very early stages of the supply chain to fulfill the energy transition initiative is vital, critical. So there's that frustration because all that fundamentals point to a sector that should be outperforming. We certainly don't have enough resources to create the transition that we are striving for. You know, we don't have enough copper, we don't have enough lithium, as well as all the other critical uh, minerals that have been identified to bring to a reality this energy transition initiative. So what is holding us back? I would say general externally to everything external to the sector. The war uh, certainly uh, is playing out to have an economic effect globally. And certainly most recently the rise in interest rate environment, we think is a big factor and certainly a, a big part of what's holding back the market right now with investors just not um, willing to, to enter the marketplace. And the hope is that we've seen the worst of that. And I know everyone is hoping that we we have maybe no more interest rates increases or very close to the end of that. But certainly we think once the economy comes back around or starts to turn, you will see investors willing to come back into a marketplace and to participate in what we think is building up to be a pretty exciting period for mining in terms of the next three to four years. Okay, fascinating. So a challenging time. Now, is that basically, could we say the same thing for south of the border in the United States? Like, is it 
pretty much like a similar kind of environment or is there something specific to the Canadian markets that are creating pain points? How do these markets compare in terms of valuations? Well, they are the same. You know, I often caution people, you know, because we're such a, a global brand and we're known globally, the TSX and a TSX Venture Exchange for mining and the fact that we're located in Canada, which is such a strong mining jurisdiction in itself, people often don't realize that, you know, as a stock market, our participating companies and institutions and investors in general are not only Canadian, but we represent a gateway to the Northern hemispheres. We represent a gateway to, to institutional and retail capital in the Americas. So when you join the Toronto Stock Exchange and a TSX Venture Exchange, you're not only being exposed and given an opportunity to showcase yourself to Canadian investors, but also North American, U.S. investors, the largest pool of institutional investable capital globally. So that's what's unique about us. We are not only um, exposing our companies to Canadian investors, which is significant, and, and certainly because we're such a strong mining jurisdiction globally, we have an ecosystem here that we have built up that specializes in the mining sector. So that's great. But also you get that significant benefit of having a seamless access to to North American investors. So yes, when I speak about what they hold in back of the market, every time I speak, I'm speaking about investors largely in the Americas. And also, to be honest, global investors, because as I said, about 40% or so of our of market participants tend to be outside of North America to be international investors. Okay, excellent. Now, the TMX, the parent company of the Toronto Stock Exchange and the TSX Venture Exchange, they have recently released their 2023 TSX30 list. Can you tell us about that and how are resource companies performing within that top 30 list? Yes, every year as part of our, as a stock exchange, as a steward of the capital markets in Canada, the TMX Group, owners and operators of the Toronto Stock Exchange and the TSX Venture Exchange, we do see it as a key responsibility for us to do everything we can to build and highlight and shine a light on Canadian capital markets. And so we have a program called a TSX 30. And what that program is, it's an annual recognition of the top performing companies across all sectors on the TSX, the big board, for the past three years. So it, it is really an annual taking stock of the top performers over the preceding three years. It has a cutoff of June, the end of June every year. And, and usually we release that early September every year since we've been doing it. Now, uh, as you'd expect, being a stock market that is so strong in the mining sector, generally, and not only mining, but resources really, um, resource companies tend to do quite well in this list. Now this year, again, resource companies, we have seven mining companies that made this list and surprise, surprise, because of the fundamentals that I referred to at the start around energy transition and the required critical minerals, on this year's list, the companies that are um, in the top performing mining companies for the past three years are generally companies focused in providing the inputs for the energy transition initiative. The top performing mining companies were Philo, China Gold, International Resources, Capstone, Alchem, uh, IR Gold and Silver, Global Atomic and Tech Resources. You know, so strong players in in, in the critical minerals, copper, uranium stories outperformed for sure and stood out. And as I said, 
It's been an amazing three years for, for the sector. I referred to 2021 earlier as sort of a, a standout year because it was. It was an extraordinary year. And certainly I think a large part of that had to do with the global recognition that the mining sector had a very important role to play in supplying the inputs if global emission standards are ever going to be achieved. I think all the professionals and experts recognize that the low-hanging fruit to reaching those goals really is transforming the, the energy sector. And the mining sector, as a consequence, was recognized as, you know, wait a minute, we can't do this without copper. We can't do this without lithium, you know, considering the current technology that we're developing. So that was the peak of it. It sort of rose to peak in 2021. And as I said, because of the subsequent war and and external factors, geopolitical issues that created a subsequent uh, external shock to global economies. If you're looking back from 2021 to now, and this is what the TSX 30 does, it does a three-year look back. Naturally, the companies that are performing here are um, predominantly lithium copper names and, and uranium names, which, as I said, are at the center of the energy transition initiative. That's pretty amazing. And that was my next question, which was, you know, which parts of the resource space did you see the most action? But you're just saying that, I guess, lithium and copper. And was it uranium? Yes, uranium. You know, uh, uranium is often people don't recognize that uranium is a critical mineral recognized by the Canadian government, you know, and many governments, Australians, I believe, as well. So if you're talking in energy transition, you'll find that um, copper, lithium and uranium are, are critical, if you will. Well, it's a relief to hear that in the top 30, there were resource companies, because I did wonder to myself when we started, as you know, as I asked you beforehand, as like, are there actually any resource companies? So they are doing well enough. And I suppose, again, as you say, looking back three years, we bring in yeah. that massive move in lithium. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a three year look back. And, you know, so, yes, that year, I think that was the year I call 2021, the year of the year when mining became uh, moved from villain to hero, I think. And I think people, <laughs> the average investor, I would say, came to, to light that, listen, oh, mining is actually the provider of the inputs into the technologies that we're hoping will help us meet this global emission reduction standards. Yeah. So, I mean, this brings up a question that I think has almost haunted this space a little bit, which is almost, I, I hesitate to say it, but this Rick ruleization of the way of going about investing in the mining sector. How big of a problem is it for you? This kind of what I'd call like cyclical investing where it's sort of everybody's just trying to buy low and sell high and there's no kind of real long-termism, so to speak. Is that a problem from your perspective or is this just fine how it is and this is the markets and everything is fine? Well, if it's fine, it's it's a way, as far as I know, um, from my schooling and certainly my 20 odd years experience in this market, it's sort of the it's the way a free market works, you know. <laughs> so uh, I think it balances out in the end the people who are patient and do the research and, and have the commitment and the patience to see potential realized are the ones who are often the winners, you know. So capital markets rewards knowledge and, and risk. Uh, to some de degree, often it, this whole premise of it is fundamental uh, principle. So, you know, if there are technologies or, or information or, or, or different investment styles that come up that are contrary to this, 
perhaps people will make money and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But I think overall, in the long term, it all comes back to a balance. I think that's what's happening now. And you see it in, in other sectors as well, you know, other sectors that pop up along the way. There might be... Um, returns in the short term, but eventually the market returns to reward and risk and knowledge. And so people who have the patience and spend the time to do the analysis and recognize that volatility is is to be expected and analyze what are causing those volatilities. Those people in the long term, medium term, often get rewarded. Now, of course, being an open market, there's no guarantee, of course, and, and no one has the ability to predict how long these volatile periods will last and when they will will disappear and when those returns will come. Perhaps they will never come. You never know. But it's the nature of investing, really. Sure. And I noticed as you're saying that I looked at the list and I did not see any pot stocks on the uh, top 30 there. So maybe. To your yeah, point. So, you know, and, but, but, and that's and who knows, you know, as I said, if we were able if you and I were able to to predict. Um, these things that we certainly, I certainly wouldn't be sitting here. I would be um, trying to uh, capitalize on my predictions if they're a hundred percent sure. So you never know, right? But I think the, the, the mining sector definitely has a pretty long record of um, of performance and and rewarding patience, and uh, I think you'll see that play out uh, more and more. And you know. Um, investors who, are, who have been in the market, who have participated in the market long enough, I've seen cycles and I've seen the volatile periods come and go. And and oftentimes, you know, it really comes down to your appetite for risk and your patience and how much risk you can endure. But I, I certainly think the, 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 those investors who are, I was at an event a few years back and I think it was Pierre Lassan who said that, you know, when investors are running out of the room, he, that's when he's entering the room because that's usually when you can find the opportunities because you get there. That's when you're going to find those low periods. You don't jump and run into a room when everybody is running into it in, as far as the investment principle is concerned. So really, it depends on how much risk you can take. If you do your fundamental research, let's say the mining sector, you recognize that, listen, uh, this is here to stay. We're, we are as a global um entity we i think we all we've all agreed generally that we're going to do something about emissions and reducing it and i think collectively the notion is the science points to reducing energy source of energy as we have in the past um, hundred or so years is the lowest hanging fruit to reduce those emission um, levels and so if we're going to do that the current technology points to the mining sector outperforming so where I say that's a pretty strong fundamental analysis. So short term, this year, for instance, has been slow. Does that mean that you get out of mining? No. Is it, does that mean that this thesis changes? Certainly not. I certainly don't think I have not heard anything about us running away from our targets. Certainly technology hasn't changed. So lithium, copper, all the critical minerals are going to be even more important in the next five or so years. So if you have the appetite to take the risk and withstand the volatility that's going to ensue, because we're living in a world where other things are happening, you know, so if you have the wherewithal to withstand those risks over the next period, and I say five years, it might be 10 years, who knows? But the key point here is the ability to weather these short-term, medium-term volatility due to external factors really is what determines who prosper. Right. And maybe another way of putting it is from the investment perspective, 
it's a feature, not a bug, this volatility. It could be viewed as such. And exactly. that this is just as Pierre Lassonde was making the point, this is the great opportunity. And probably, I think, to your point, I think that's why there actually is a strong segment of investors that remain very loyal, in a sense, mm -hmm. to the mining sector, despite its difficulties as an investment. Mm -hmm. I think probably mm -hmm. for the very reason of this volatility. So switching gears just a little bit, I mean, you have your eyes on the Canadian markets and international markets. We're seeing exploration companies in Canada struggle to you know, raise money. They have low stock prices. What are you seeing from this perspective? And do you have any just general thoughts on, you know, the situation? I think we've uh, really exploration, the appetite for exploration names has changed, uh, has improved significantly over the past few years, I would say over the past five years. This year, as I said earlier, we have sort of had a stall in the market. So, yes, it's it's quite low now. But I think the the earlier challenges, the, the challenges that we saw back in 2011 to 2016, 17 for expiration names, I think that sort of dull period in the marketplace has pretty much is behind us now. I think a lot of um, money started to go, go back into expiration names, especially because of, again, going back to the fundamentals in the sector, the, the, the commodities that we need. And, and people have recognized are critical, those uh, are in short supply. So as a result, we've, we've seen um, not only large companies are putting more money into junior companies through JVs uh, are taking stakes in um, in junior exploration companies to encourage them to go out there and find supply, new sources of lithium, copper, and, and uranium. We've seen a pickup in that in general, and I think that's gonna continue. And I think more and more investors are going to try to get exposure to that as well. And so I think you'll see more money, especially in today's world, where mining, especially junior companies, have sort of changed the way they do business. And, you know, considering all ESG factors or considerations that, that is so predominant in the sector now, that even junior companies are quite aware and mostly being pushed by investors to be accountable around ESG um, frameworks. So I think those factors have sort of helped fundamentals, one, so there's a need, so there's a supply gap. And I think investors, more and more investors are recognizing that. And I think companies recognizing that they have to be more responsible in the way they, they execute their business in exploration and, and production. I think those two factors have come together to sort of create a point where I think junior companies will have an easier time raising capital than they are relative to what we saw in the early 2010s, you know, the teens, let's say from 2011 to 2018. I think that was pretty much close to the bottom of, of where exploration companies' experiences were in terms of their ability to raise capital. I think certainly over the past five years, this has improved significantly. And as I said, the fundamentals are only getting stronger. I think what's impacting junior companies' ability right now is really um, an external environment that is not conducive. Most investors are, are trying to see how they can weather this global recession that we've been talking about for the past two years. I think once we get out 
result of an inflationary environment and, and government's desire to use increasing interest rates to, to contain that. I think once those factors move away over the next six months to a year, you'll see investors going back significantly into this market. You know, today, today our market open was uh, by RBC iShares, which is a joint venue between RBC and BlackRock Canada. And they were celebrating the launch of a new ETF that's based on uh, energy transition materials index that we launched last year. So BlackRock came to us and said, you know, this this SMP TSX energy transition materials index that you developed, which we launched last year, uh, BlackRock said, listen, we, we want to um, create an ETF around this product. And why? because they want to give um, investors, particularly retail investors, an opportunity to be exposed to what is smart money recognizes is going to be a significant opportunity going forward. And uh, today we celebrated it with the the ticker is XETM, by the way, and it's uh, iShares S&P TSX Energy Transition Materials Index ETF. So this is an RBC BlackRock product, iShares. So that's their brand for their ETF and ETFs in Canada. So extremely happy with this launch because it, it's trading on the TSX, of course, uh, under the ticker XETM. Uh, extremely happy with this launch because this product gives the, the average um, investor an opportunity to participate in the equity uh, performance of the companies, the top companies that are exploring, seeking to supply these critical minerals that are so vital in the energy transition movement or initiative. So yeah, I, to go, going back to your question, uh, exploration companies have had a hard time, you know, starting back from 2011. It has definitely changed, I think, since 2018, 2017, late 2017 even. And I think it's going to change even more. Now, people might be listening to this and say, oh, this year has been horrible. It's hard to raise capital. Of course it is. As I said earlier, we are in the middle of a war and our global um, economy is teetering on a, a significant recession. So, yes, uh, there are things that happen outside of mining that cause things to spot. Does that mean it's going away? No. Again, as I said, no one can really predict when these things are going away. But certainly where we stand, even though we see a fall off uh, in, in capital raises and new companies come into market IPOs, we are certainly encouraged. And, and clearly the guys at BlackRock are encouraged as well where they think that investors are going to be looking for opportunities like this ETF that's launched today. Launched last last week, actually, but celebrated today with the market open. And by today, I mean the 18th of September uh, with our market open today. I think generally smart money recognizes that we have a transient situation right now. Uh, but fundamentally, there there are significant reasons to be encouraged. And I think you'll start to see junior mining companies reap the benefit of that in terms of capital being put into into these companies to enable them to expand their exploration programs. The slowdown that we are that I'm recognizing here is not unique to our markets. It's a global situation. And as again, this goes back to what I was saying to you earlier, you know, I often have to remind people that we are a, a stock exchange that situated in Canada, which is a profound benefit to us considering Canada's strength and stability as a financial center. But the additional benefit that we offer our issuers or our 1200 mining issuers or so is that we are a gateway to global capital. Close to half of our projects are outside of um, North America in terms of projects that are represented in our market, but also the investors, people who have membership in our stock market, investors who participate in our market, close to 40% of them are outside of Canada. 
we are a global marketplace. We are a gateway to North American capital. We are a gateway to global capital. So my comments around the slowdown in the marketplace and, and, and the challenges that are causing those in terms of external factors, it's not unique to Canada. It's, it's a global phenom. And final question, briefly, if possible, what is your sense of the how the government is doing in regards to encouraging investment in Canada and just in regard to the resource sector? What's your sense of how the government is doing and could they do something better? You know, our, our CEO, John McKenzie, when he became CEO uh, a few years back, he made publicly a commitment to using his position and our position, a TMX Group's position, as a leading uh, marketplace um, globally to be a voice for our clients, uh, both investors and companies listed with us across all sectors for the betterment of the Canadian capital market and by extension, global capital markets. For us here in Canada, naturally the first place to start was being an advocate to our federal and provincial governments to encourage them to pursue policies that would encourage the growth of the Canadian capital markets. Let's So, you know, we started at home. And I think this, by and large, has been quite encouraging. The response from the government, not only the provincial government, but also the federal government has been quite encouraging. You know, it's not perfect. The government certainly has not been perfect. But I would say I would uh, challenge anyone by saying that I'm encouraged by the government's turnaround over the past five years. I think the government has, has certainly recognized, no, for whatever reason, let, let's forget about the reason that uh, the theory is why that might have been the case. But certainly the government has recognized the need, one, to create a critical mineral strategy, two, to include in that strategy mechanisms to encourage investment in the critical mineral space. Uh, and it's not only the Canadian government, it again um, extends even down to, to our neighbors in the U.S. We see the influx, Inflation Reduction Act coming in. Um, government actually setting up programs to put money into companies exploring and, and producing critical minerals. We see in Canada, coming back to Canada, we see the Canadian government putting in policies that provides uh, tax relief for investments in uh, the critical mineral space. So these are all extremely encouraging. The Canadian government way back started the whole flow through program, which everyone loves and thought it was a brilliant idea. And it's just great to see that being extended, being committed to. And we think it's only the start. We think as we, in, from our position of advocacy and talking to the federal government and the provincial government, we are extremely encouraged. There has been missteps, but we certainly, I think overall, the Minister of Natural Resources here in Canada and, and the federal government in general and the provincial governments have been quite responsive to our gestures or uh, invitations for a roundtable to connect with our mining companies and talk about challenges and potential solutions in a collaborative way. We're extremely encouraged by this and we think it's only going to continue, as I said. Uh, five years ago, we didn't have a critical mineral strategy and, and here we are now, a strategy that includes mechanisms to encourage um, investment in the mining sector. So again, this is just another uh, block, uh, if you will, in, in building that whole um, thesis of fundamental reasons why you should be quite encouraged about the sector going forward. Dean McPherson, Head of Global Mining at the Toronto Stock Exchange and the TSX Venture Exchange, thank you for joining us on the Northern Miner Podcast. Thank you, Adrian. It's a pleasure being here. And, and certainly, um, I hope your listeners enjoy the conversation. If anyone wants to reach out to me directly with any follow-up, uh, please, I encourage them to do so. 
Thank you once again to Dean McPherson, head of global mining at TMX Group, for joining us on this week's Northern Miner podcast. It is always interesting to hear what Dean has to say. And yeah, I guess there is frustration out there. But hope rings eternal again that the fundamentals will come into play. So thank you once again for joining us today. And also thank you to Tom Meyer at Archer Exploration for sponsoring this week's episode. If you want to join us at the Canadian Mining Symposium, simply go to events.northernminer.com. If you want to help out the podcast, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. Share it with your friends. And until next week, take care.